0: I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Today, we conclude our series on the cereal wars. Breakfast, as we all know, is the most important meal of the day. It's an adage as true as it is wise. What better way to kickstart your body for a successful workday than a balanced breakfast? Yes, yes, that all sounds so scientifically and nutritionally sound— Alas, it wasn't actually doctors or nutritionists who coined the phrase or the idea of starting your day with breakfast. It was, as you probably guessed, cereal companies, and in particular, their marketing departments. I mean, what better way to sell more grape nuts than convincing people it's a key component of a healthy lifestyle? Our guest on today's episode is Alex Mayasi. He is the editor of the website Gastro Obscura, where he writes about interesting food and drink and the history of food and food culture around the world. Alex has covered not just the history of the cereal wars, but also how modern-day cereal marketing became so aggressive and some of the parallels to today's consumer habits. We'll talk with Alex about the state of the cereal companies today, why we're eating less cereal, and how cereal ads are so effective at keeping us coming back for more. Alex Mayasi, welcome to Business Wars. Thank you so much for having me. I know you've explored a lot of the history that we've covered in this series, but you've also written about uh, the history of how breakfast became a kind of staple of our lives. Why do you think it was so hard to trace the modern origins of breakfast?
1: For one thing, you know historians over time, they vary what they consider important and most worthy of recording and investigating, um, as well as, you know, chroniclers of the time. So I think breakfast is sometimes something that has not always been a, a priority to record. Um, and so that's, you know, I feel like once when I went, I kind of thought about like, well, when did, when, when did eggs become a breakfast food? And I started trying to poke around and, you know, I came up with, you know, like references from the Bible of, of Bible figures cooking eggs for breakfast. And I was like, okay, well, that's, uh, we're not going to get a definitive answer here. The, or the answer is it's, it's been a long time. Um, so you know, I I think that's one reason, and, and certainly two. Um, in lots of parts of the world, three meals breakfast, lunch, dinner at, within roughly you know equivalent time frames for each of those meals is, is fairly standard. But of course, if you go back in history, there've been different conceptions of what breakfast, lunch, and dinner mean, or there you know supper is thrown into the mix. Um, they take place at different times. Um, it changes whether they're lighter or heavier meals. Uh, when I lived in Cairo myself, it took me a long ter- time to realize that when my my Egyptian coworkers were asking me about, you know, how was my breakfast um, when I thought I was eating lunch, it's just because they tended to eat start eating later in the day, um, yeah. And sure. so that was, <laughs> you know, just a, a different conception of the meal.
0: So much for that phrase "breakfast is the most important meal of the day." If you're eating it, you know, halfway through the day right i mean which i guess brings us to that whole uh origin story what, what what did you find out about the the roots of that concept breakfast as the most important meal of the day
1: well you alluded to it before you know it, it very much that phrasing comes from cereal marketers um i think they're chiefly if not entirely responsible for that phrase and you know man they did a good job with that coinage you know that we're all <laughs> just think about the times that uh you know, a friend of mine after I had written this article about the history of cereal and the marketing of breakfast, and you know, my friend just kind of said offhand to me at some point, Oh yeah, breakfast, most important meal of the day. And she had, you know, no idea that I had been looking into its origins. You know, it's just in uh, it's just in the ether at this point. But I think if you if you go back to kind of uh, around the time of World War II— you have, you know, of course, as you've chronicled in this series, that's a time when cereal is really taking off and the, the, the cereal wars are, are quite aggressive and intense. But then in the—so, so of course, you know, cereal marketers are, are looking at all sorts of different ways to promote their products. Um, but you also had a point in time where, you know, military planners and members of the government were concerned about the readiness of the American population to, you know, for, for a time of war um, to serve if called. And so they were concerned about health and nutrition. And so, you know, I think I, I've often, you know, enjoyed looking into the history of, uh, and poking fun at cereal companies, marketing their super sugary cereals with, you know, fairly dubious health claims. But I, I, I think in this case, the marketers were not, um, necessarily, you know, it's not some sort of cackling with glee as they sell the most sugary product. With the most healthful claims, I think there was also a sense that, at the time, these cereal companies companies still, you know, did identify as as health companies. That's where their origins were, and you know, government nutritionists were were interested in making sure that Americans were um, eating healthy food, and so you know that that messaging also came out of interactions with the U.S. government.
0: But I I wonder then, given given what you've just said about you know the need to to have um, battle-ready Americans, if you will. I mean, is there any validity to this notion that breakfast is the most important meal of the day? I mean, if even if you put aside no, uh, you know, frosted Cheerios or some, you know, or, or, or you know, sugary cereals, not that important to have in the morning. What about the concept of, of getting the day started with breakfast? I mean, what do nutritionists say about that?
1: Right, what if I, what if it's not, you know, sugar crisps, but it's the, you know, the type of, meal that would get you an approving nod from a a health nut or a nutritionist and i think the answer there is is just that it's really hard to say Um, probably the more certain a nutritionist or person in the field is about whether breakfast is quite important to have or not probably the the less attention you should pay to them as a you know serious figure because i think if um you know nutrition is just a really hard field you can't You can't take, you know, 20 identical humans and ask them to each spend 10 years uh, eating in two different ways and track the results, right? And so, you know, studies that—and of course, you know, there are lots of smart, clever researchers, uh, nutritionist scientists who try to answer this question. Um, But it's such a specific one with so many other variables that I think a lot Mm -hmm. of the the studies have contradicted each other. So I I believe you've seen or we've seen studies where— um, you know, researchers have found some some evidence that school children who eat breakfast in the morning are better able to focus. Uh, but then then it doesn't replicate. You know, other researchers, they they do a, a similar study or a study with, you know, looking into the same thing, but with a little different setup and you know, they come out with kind of inconclusive evidence and don't really see any signs that you know, students eating breakfast is really helping them concentrate. Um, and so I think you see that pretty, pretty widely with, the question about whether it's incredibly important to have breakfast in the morning and as well as a lot of similar questions that really hard to have a definitive answer, hard to know if it's different for different people. Um, so it, it's one of those things where so much time, effort and attention has been thrown at it and we're kind of still left shrugging our shoulders.
0: And and yet I, I can't help but think that marketers were looking to parents at some point. I mean, you think about as, as you go through our series and how, at, at, at a particular point in time during these cereal wars, the marketing was really uh, largely to kids. It was largely about kids also. It was in some respects about convincing parents that if they didn't let their kids have cereal in the morning or push it on the kids, that uh, they weren't doing all they should do as a parent. Did you get that, that sense as you were doing your research?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can, you know, you've you've talked about in the series how, you know, you look at cereal and you start seeing the different health movements of the time. Um, so, right, I can remember picking out cereal boxes uh, as a kid, and there were messages like uh, "contains 100 percent of the vitamin D you need," um, and I had no idea what vitamin D was supposed to do, but it it, it sounds promising. And <laughs> yeah, you know, that's sure. uh, that's largely a legacy of when. Um, Americans were really obsessed with vitamins and that was being uh, really discussed um, by nutritionists in, in, in health circles. And so, you know, cereal companies thought, oh, great, we can put all these vitamins on our cereals. And that's a, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of earnest intent there that that's really helpful. And, you know, maybe late, I believe later, you know, research is finding, well, if you just kind of dump vitamins on on a piece of corn, you know, that's that's not necessarily... Uh, the same as getting vitamins you need in other ways. But yeah, I, th- I think, you know, you can see that, you know, cereal has always been a product that, you know, like any health food, it's had this kind of halo um, of health that's been how it's, it's sold for a long time. Um, but then, of course, you know, as, as sugar was embraced, you get the colorful cartoons that have been, I think, is probably most people's first image of cereal Tony the Tiger, you know, a toucan, a leprechaun. Um, and they're, you know, it's about it's about fun. And, you know, there's, there's kind of a point. I think what's so interesting about cereal is that in some ways it's just the ultimate product to look at the work of marketers and advertising. Because, of course, I think everyone agrees that there are certain cereals they like and others they don't like the taste as much. But, you know, the product is not that different from each other. So it's really about building brands and that's why you know you are talking about a couple huge companies battling against each other even though cereal as a product is is not that hard to make Um, and that's because what you need to compete is advertising um, because it's so much about the marketing
0: enjoy a powerful business upgrade with dell Technologies black friday in july event Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies Advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world, with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. Let's focus in on this marketing aspect because you wrote in an article that companies see breakfast as an area where there seems to be extraordinary opportunity. How, how so?
1: Right, right. So I was I was far too pleased with myself for this line. And you can tell me if it's cl- as clever as I think it is that, uh-huh. you know, breakfast may or may not be the most important meal of the day, but it's it's probably the most marketed meal of the day. <laughs> um, and so that that right is because, like you said, marketers see a lot of opportunity there. Um, and I think there are two big reasons for that. Um, I think one, I, I think a lot of us recognize instinctively that a lot of us eat the same breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is due to the power of habit, right? So our brains are amazing, but they also want to be lazy. You know, they want, to, they want to save their firepower. So we build these habits. We do things without thinking. And for so many of us, you know, the habit always kind of starts with the same cue. And there's no cue that's more powerful, more regular than waking up in the morning and having a morning routine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So if you, as a cereal company can get someone to become a regular, uh, to regularly buy Frosted Flakes. You have signed that person up potentially to buy Frosted Flakes, you know, for the rest of the year, for years and years to come. Yeah, um, right. You know, right. if you're the chicken lobby and you convince people that, oh yeah, chicken's, you know, it's healthy. You should eat some more chicken. Uh, yeah, every once in a while at dinner, they'll, they'll choose chicken over something else. Um, you know, the rewards are just so much higher at breakfast because of, the power of habit and the way that, you know, at dinner, people are always thinking, now oh, what what should I get? And there, there are all these options. And we're used to thinking of it as a meal that you'll kind of have something different quite regularly, whereas breakfast is something it's it's that power of habit. We'll have the same thing every day.
0: That, that makes sense what you're saying when you think about how fast food places try so hard to push their breakfast option, right? I mean, it limits if they're counting on people sort of acting out of that uh, habitual uh, so, sort of uh, uh, drive, then you don't have to have a, an enormous number of options, for example, on your menu. You're going to have people coming back for that same egg McMuffin every, every day or that same cup of coffee and, and, and a piece of toast or something.
1: Right. And I think, you know, you talked about marketers and food companies seeing a lot of opportunity in breakfast. That's also because, right, uh, so many of us are our breakfast is a bowl of cereal that maybe you know it's it's not a very expensive meal um maybe we're spending you know maybe a buck on breakfast right um and that's a lot less than lunch or dinner so i think you know that's some place obviously lots of people want to have a a relatively inexpensive breakfast um but that's and and a lot of us have the idea that breakfast will be something that's uh, more affordable or, or cheaper but i think beyond you know people trying to push bowls of cereal um if you're, food, if you're in the food industry, breakfast is a place where people aren't spending that much money. So if you, get, if you communicate to them that they should come buy your breakfast entry, uh, your breakfast mm-hmm. offering, um, mm-hmm. and you can even get them to spend a few more bucks than they usually do on breakfast, you know that's, that's going from the kind of uh, zero-sum world of trying to beat the other company to get people to come to your restaurant or to buy your product for lunch or dinner um, yeah. to opening up a whole new growth area. There was a there was a
0: study that Yale did you know, as we're talking about this marketing aspect of it that it was it was uh, I believe this was back in 2014, and it broke down how cartoon characters on cereal boxes, where their eyes were oriented. I don't know if you if you've read this study, but they found that the characters were making eye contact with the kids, right, <laughs> which is super creepy, but it also sort of <laughs> speaks to how uh, how aggressive these companies are in marketing. H- have you found some some really out there uh, ways that cereal marketing has 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 become effective? It may be ways that w- we we don't notice right
1: off. You know the the cereal mascots looking down at kids is a super interesting example of you know you throw all these marketers and money at the problem of how to get kids to buy your cereal. Right. They are going to come up with clever solutions. Um, of course, another similar one you see is. Right at a grocery store, uh, the staff is not just placing products on the shelves at random. Companies are paying them to to put their products um, on the shelf they want. You know, so you want you want your product often at eye level rather than you know up at the tippy top, out of reach, and you'll pay good money for that. Uh, you know, maybe with Frosted Flakes or a, another cereal that's meant for kids, um, you're not putting that at eye level for the adults. You might put that at I pay to very intentionally pay to have that put at eye level for children um, so that Tony the Tiger is, you know, right there at eye level for for young kids. Was that effective to you as a kid? I
0: mean, w- were you one of those that, that Tony the Tiger
1: worked for? <laughs> I mean, it must have because I ate Frosted Flakes a lot. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure that's why I keep referencing Tony the Tiger. And I remember, too, when I was a college student and got to study abroad in France, um, I mean, this isn't exactly what they were going for when they invented Tony the Tiger, but uh, I, I I remember I ate a lot of knockoff frosted flakes for breakfast when I was in when I was in France because it, you know, went to the cereal aisle and you know, reached for that familiar box. It's it's the power of habit. Um, so yes, Tony the Tiger it must have been very effective on me. Clearly, very interesting. Is, is
0: it is that your favorite cereal today?
1: I mean, or, or do you have another favorite? I don't eat cereal that much. But it's interesting, you know, when you asked about what are interesting ways that cereal marketing is going today, you know, I think nostalgia is really powerful. And so, you know, there's a question can that be the basis of all of your advertising? You know, that's not necessarily going to make the next generation fall in love with your products. But, you know, I, I live in New York and you see it in interesting ways where I, like a lot of my peers, have stopped eating cereal for breakfast. You know, there's been a lot of movement towards eating healthier. And so I've, you know, and I lived with a medical student who spent years getting me to stop drinking sugary orange juice every morning, like all those marketers told me to do. And, you know, um, yeah. but, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm here in New York where you have amazing food options everywhere. And people are, you know, a number of my peers are choosing to go to the milk bar or someplace where, you know, you pay, uh, you know, five, ten bucks to get some sort of dessert that's drawing on cereals. Um, hmm. And, you know, part of the reason that has appeal for people is because, you know, it's kind of combining their nostalgia for the cereals they knew and loved when they were kids and, and also uh, them being, you know, yuppies in New York and we want to go have these new food experiences. And so I believe that, you know, some, some cereal companies are, are even leaning into this and uh, paying chefs to do creative things with their cereals. Um, Now can a business that relies on millions and millions of people buying boxes of cereal at the supermarket every day or every week somehow find a, you know, similar level of success based on, you know, nostalgia and creative uses for cereal? I'm not sure. Um, But certainly I think that's that's one direction they're going.
0: Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for customer support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. When, I'm trying to think if it was carnation, it seems like it was, Uh, they tried to sort of piggyback on cereals with, with, with something called instant breakfast. And it was basically like a chocolate milk mix and with some vitamins added in. And but the concept was you sort of you're sort of piggybacking on everything that's that goes along with that big sale, the big breakfast sale. That it's good for you. You gotta have the you know you gotta have something healthy in the morning. That it's your 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 storehouse of energy until lunch. Uh, You know it's that kind of thing. And you can get it all in a glass or there's of course, breakfast bars, and I think they still have those that that are being sold. It's almost like there is a certain sociology that's being sold with the breakfast that this is you know that that if you if you go without you you're you're missing out. and uh, it's it's amazing how just how pervasive that is. And yet, right now, cereal sales appear to be down compared to times past. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I wonder if, cereal executives decades ago could have imagined in a future where other products would have outconvenienced them. I mean, you think back to the fact that, you know, cereal came out in a time when people were, you know, spending an hour or hours to cook breakfast and then suddenly right. they thought, oh, this is great. I just put in a bowl and add cereal. You know, that was obviously, a, a, as you've talked about, a, a huge driver of uh, a huge reason that cereal was so successful. It was convenient. Um, and at a time that the United States was becoming a more modern economy, and you need people needed and wanted that fast, convenient breakfast, or didn't have the same access to ovens, or didn't have you know spouse, mother, someone who was cooking for them and could cook for all three meals. And you know now there are a number of products where it's you know put in a bowl and pour in milk. That's that's too many steps, right? You know it's it's soylent where it's you know you can just have this one liquid from a bottle for all of your meals. Um, yeah, right. Any number of other products that are. You know, about kind of a or, you know, a kind of smoothie product where the idea is it's, it's everything you need in one. I mean, Soylent even combines the food and the coffee in one bottle. Um, so, you know, clearly, I, I don't think cereal executives could have imagined that they'd be, you know, beat out on the convenience front in that respect. But of course, you see them getting in that game, too, with things like cereal bars um, where you have the kind of uh, it's just funny to imagine that market research meeting where they say, you know, oh, people find it too hard to, to pour a bowl of cereal. Um, so we need to go this new direction
0: i've heard a lot uh, of conversation around sugar and and uh, uh, people having concerns about sugar and i i just assumed that one of the reasons that cereal sales have been have been going down is because of concerns about sugar but i was reading in the wall street journal recently that cereal makers since they've seen you know sort of a drop off in in some of the healthy cereals that uh, they've sort of gone back to sugar in a weird, perverted sort of way. I mean, even though people have been eating less sugar uh, and, and, and not eating so much cereal, consumers of cereal, especially children, you know, care less about nutrition and more about fun flavors and a range of colors. And I, I just sort of wonder what you make of this sort of back and forth, because we've seen that at several points in this evolution of cereal in
1: America. This has happened for a lot of big food companies there's more concern about health sugar has been increasingly identified as the main culprit by nutritionists and people concerned about health and so and of course you know if you look outside at fast food you know other other ingredients other than sugar have at times been the ones that have been demonized or paid attention to um, but you know all these food companies you know whether a burger chain or um a giant you know someone who makes pastry products they, they have that moment. They say, okay, you know, there's this big push for healthier food. Uh, we think young parents are much more conscious of sugar. I know, you know, I have friends um, who are, you know, uh, having children and they're, you know, they'll kind of set themselves up on their diet when their kid gets old enough to have solid food where they have, you know, no, they don't eat anything with added sugar. And I'm sure, you know, for if you're at a cereal company, that That's going to leave quite an impression on you. That's maybe a a terrifying thought considering sugar is, you know, that's what grew the cereal business. Um, But there's always this moment where you decide, okay, do we try and change with the culture? Are we McDonald's going to add a bunch of salads to the menu Mm -hmm. and try Mm -hmm. to reduce kind of, you know, make all our burgers and fries and everything healthier? Um, Or do we say, no, you know what, this is, you don't go to a burger shack for a healthy meal. Um, people can make their own choices. Malcolm Gladwell did some great reporting about this when Cinnabon faced this choice um, and Cinnabon, you know, had, had made this goal of getting their, you know, gigantic, decadent, sugar-laden, frosted-covered cinnamon buns to have a max of, say, 500 calories. I, I forget the exact number. Um, but, you know, then a, a big, a, a new executive came in and staked her reputation and career on the idea of, we're not going to make it healthier. We'll um, you know, that's that's not who we are. And, you know, she just they just ended up deciding to sell smaller Cinnabons. So they were fewer calories. It was not in any way healthier. Um, and that was hugely successful for them. And, you know, I think they've kind of, you know, I've heard their CEO talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're about indulgence. Um, that's what we are. And speaking personally, I mean, I I will happily take food companies to task for selling, you know, basically nothing but sugar as health food. Um, But you don't try to sell me healthy ice cream like I don't want that when I want ice cream. I want it to be very sugary and it is delicious and I know what I'm doing. And I, um, you know, slowly reining it in as I become increasingly like a real adult who who needs to make healthy choices. But, uh, yeah, don't I don't need to know how much protein is in this ice cream or it's. Fewer the next, you know, grams of sugar just just make it delicious, and I will be so happy. You're
0: refreshingly honest, I have to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I loved. There was a point. Um, I feel like when there was kind of the the maximum conversation about the the potential dangers of sugar, um, and someone, you know, ingeniously published a big book's ep- excerpt in the New York Times. Um, about the dangers of sugars and how different food companies had misled the public and tried to push concerns, focus more on exercise rather than sugar. And then yes, the New York Times also published this ad where someone said counterpoint sugar is delicious. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I that's that's a reasonable argument as well. And I think, you know, I'm sure that's that's the question that a, a lot of cereal mark, uh executives at cereal companies are, you know, they're they have to make choices uh, about is, you know, do we try and make a healthier product or do we say, no, you know, there are a lot of people who like these sugary products and and people can make the choice to buy it.
0: Alex Mayasi is the editor of the website Gastro Obscura, where fascinating stories, interesting stories are served fresh daily. Alex, it's been a real treat to get a a chance to say hello uh, to you and uh, to hear your explanation of uh, all things cereal. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us on Business
1: Wars. Oh, my pleasure. It was so nice speaking, David.
0: From Wondery, this is Business Wars, and we certainly do hope you enjoyed this episode. We should mention something else about Alex Mayasi. If you want to check out his own reporting on this subject of cereal, uh, visit Priceonomics. We'll have a link in the episode notes, and more on those episode notes in just a moment. Coming up in our next series, oh, man, this one is close to my heart. I'm a motorcycle rider. I love the sound of a big twin engine. And if you're a Harley rider, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Harley-Davidson is one of the most iconic names in the motorcycle business. And it's survived for more than a 100 years, even though there have been countless competitors that have come and gone. Despite its status as the king of the biker world, sleeker and cheaper competitors have crept in over the years, trying to take a bite out of the iconic brand's empire. So how has Harley-Davidson... Managed to survive the likes of Triumph, Honda, BMW, and others? In fact, that's a question that's very important for the here and now when it comes to Harley Davidson. The motorcycle world has been shrinking. We invite you to join us for Harley and the Biker Wars next on Business Wars. Can't get enough of this stuff? Scroll on over to Business Wars Daily. We'll keep you up to date on the most compelling competitions in commerce today in the time it takes to brush your teeth. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever fine podcasts are served. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. And you'll also see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe while you're at it. There's another way you can support us, and that's by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey. And it would be great if you could tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. I'm your host, David Brown. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Lee Hernandez is our special episodes producer. And our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in
0: front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop. Take some deep breaths. Tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say, good. Because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.